at law school, corporate clerkship recruitment is considered to be especially demanding. Some of the dedicated lawyers who have survived this vicious process are part of an elite squad known as Allens. These are their stories. Rose, we're sort of taking a bit of a different tone, a bit of a different approach to this episode. And this has come out of a conversation that we've had well, we've had many conversations about this kind of thing. And that is the fact that working in a law firm and in a high pressure environment can actually be quite difficult and it can be a struggle sometimes and it can have an impact on how you feel and your well-being. And I think that's true of all levels. You find that people have various struggles from time to time as they're studying law throughout the clerkship process, as junior lawyers and as more senior lawyers. And it's a conversation that we should, I think, be having as frequently as we can. Yeah, I agree. And so today, the idea of this episode is that we're going to talk a bit more about mental health and the law and how to remain well at work and sort of what things we can do as individuals, but also what things that the firm is thinking about and what things the firm is doing for us as employees. So I'm really looking forward to having this chat with you and our guests. And I hope everyone else will gain some valuable insights from it. This episode, we're joined by Vijay Kugati, a partner in our M&A team, and Jane Lewis, Head of People and Development here at the firm. We're going to be talking about well-being and mental health in the legal profession. This is your guide to a life in corporate law. I'm Rosanna Bricknell, joining my co-host Geneva Secular, and this is Alan's Alan's Confidential. Confidential. We're hoping to start with a question that we always begin with, which is the question, do you have a favourite podcast? If so, what is it and why? Do you go first? Sure. Probably two come to mind. I love the ABC Conversation with Richard Feidler. And the other one, which is a bit more of a trashy indulgence, is What Should I Read Next, which is a very schmaltzy American podcast where they talk about the books they love. And I kind of live vicariously through that because I don't get to do nearly as much reading as I would like. What kind of books do they read? Oh, it's all kind. So it's just talking to people who like it. And it's, they sort of talk about this bit of a formula, sort of, you know, what's your background when and when do you fit reading in, three books you love, um, one book you have not loved, what you're reading now, and then she sort of does a bit of a dating service and says what you should read next. Oh, oh I love great. that. Hmm. Have you got any great books that you've read out of it? The two that I've read recently that I love are Gentleman in Moscow, please don't ask me the author, and <laughs> Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I'm reading that right now. I love it. Yeah, it's very unusual. Yeah, it is. But when I first started reading it, I was thinking, oh, this is all a bit too cliched. But um, yeah, she, there's a hard story there, but lots of heart and hope. I loved it. I look forward to the second half. Well, I'm, I'm a podcast dinosaur, to be honest. So <laughs> I, I listen to, uh, I've only listened to a handful. The ones I do listen to is all to do with cycling because I'm a cyclist. So Fellowcast and The Slow Ride are the two that I listen to. Controversially, there's a very, um, or I guess one becoming more popular is by Lance Armstrong. So debating whether to listen to that, um, given the history. Um, and then obviously commercial, I guess, very well-known teacher's pet I've listened to. So not much broader than that. Excellent. The real question here is, do you wear lycra? (laughs) Every middle-aged man wears lycra. There's an image. (laughs) What do they talk about? Every middle-aged man in lycra. (laughs) Like, what is the content of a cycling pot? Like, is it, this is a good place to cycle? Well, some some can be all about the racing. So they'll tell you about what races are coming up, what races have been, who's doing well, fitness regimes, latest tech, latest, you know, nutrition tips, all that type of stuff. So the people who are into cycling are all nodding right now going, yeah, yeah I get good it. Yeah, good stuff. 
<laughs> well, famously also you've noted that this is not a podcast that you've listened to yet, but maybe you will after this episode. <laughs> That's true. I should have said that I listened to Alice Confidential. <laughs> well, I listened back to some of the episodes and realised that in our first season I made the same joke literally every episode, which was like, oh, of course this is your favourite podcast now, and then I was committed to not telling that joke again. So, so thanks for bringing it up again. Well done. It's happened in season two. But aren't you proud I didn't tell the joke? I told the story of me telling the joke. I mean, shades of nuance, I guess. <laughs> Excellent. Well, maybe we should move on, having managed to retread exactly the same content we did in season one. Um, I think this is going to be a podcast where we talk a lot about what it's like to be a lawyer and the sorts of issues that lawyers face. And in particular, the two sides of the same coin, which are how to be a lawyer who's well and is happy and healthy at work and also how um, as a firm and as lawyers we deal with some of the more serious issues of the legal profession around mental health, which is why in particular we've got um, a partner and the head of P&D because, of course, you both have had long careers in dealing with both of those things. Um, So we were hoping to ask you about what it's like in your experience doing both managing both of those things for yourselves and for the people that work here. Do you want to start, Jane? Take us away. Well, that feels like a very broad question. So I think I was asked, I think you just asked me about managing it myself and then also about managing it for others. So maybe I'll start with managing it for myself. Um, I think what's important personally is to know what are the things that are really important for you for your own well-being. And I think, you know, actually our firm logo for our well-being framework is well-being, it's personal. Um, and that's because of sort of two things. A, there's a personal role in ensuring our well-being, but also what constitutes good well-being practice is not going to be the same for everyone. So for me, um, sadly, sleep is really important. So I know that I need to quarantine sleep. If sleeping was a competitive sport like cycling, I think I would be excellent. (laughs) (laughs) And also um, my food is really important. So I'm not good with sugars. I'm not good with processed foods, et cetera. So diet and sleep basic things like hydration are all really critical for my well-being. And then at times when I'm particularly stressed, it's thing, it's knowing what are the things that I can do during those sort of peak periods. So for example, a couple of nights this week, I've had really late nights. So getting home, how do I quickly get to sleep? So I do a yoga nidra meditation before I go to sleep. I get to yin yoga when I can. Um, and I'm a big user of the holistic um, health profession. So I'm into kinesiology and acupuncture and and a whole lot of kooky things. So I do a lot around my kind of physical well-being. Do you want to maybe talk about what you do and then we can talk about a firm perspective? Sure. Um, You're probably not into kinesiology. I'm not. Hey, my <laughs> careful, my mum is actually a kinesiologist, oh, so <laughs> watch what you say. Um, I think it depends on where you, you know, the history of how you approach your career and how you manage your career. And you know, I've lucked into law in the sense that I thought I'd be a doctor um, and then missed out by the usual point one as you do on your um, TER as it was back then and then started doing law and thought, hey, this is not so bad and, you know, 25 years later, here I am. Um, but what does that mean? It means that when I discover the law, I really like it and I get to work in, for me, a firm that really fits me. And um, I think we'll talk about this more, but that that is one of the big takeaways i think in anyone's career we as a firm like any large commercial firm will take 
a lot of time from you and ask a lot of you. And therefore, if it's not an environment you really don't like, um, and that's a personal choice, we love. We would hope you love it. But if you don't, then given the fact that it will suck up an awful lot of your time, then it's okay not to want to be here. So, you know, that's that's an honest statement. And in that context, for me personally, I really love it here. And so what that means is, although um, sometimes I have to work very bad hours and sometimes I have to juggle um, personal and professional life in ways which many people won't quite understand at that moment in time, I do try and fit everything in. So for me, um, the busier I get, the more I exercise. It just means I have to wake up earlier. Um, but I do try and make sure I'm either surfing, cycling, or going for a swim before work. Um, I do, um, for me, it's important to get my kids to school, which means I do the breakfast routine and then I get to work. So I'm a bit of a later starter, but it means I typically start later in the day. And that is my balance. So, you know, everyone does it differently, but. Mm. You know, I think the message from both of Jane and myself is you got to find your own way. And I think um, finding your own way and making sure this is the right environment for you, I think, are critical elements, which I think will come back to as thematics in, in this conversation. Mm, absolutely. Part of the reason, Vijay, actually, that we asked you to be on this podcast is because a couple of weeks ago, I was faced with a decision about where to settle, which I haven't made yet. Um, and Vijay gave me the very helpful advice of, well, which is the place where you felt like your life and your work was a party. And while work is not always a party, there are actually sometimes you come to work and you feel a bit like that. And I actually thought that was great advice because it was sort of, you know, choose the work you like, but also choose your happiness because you have to be happy at work. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, and there's a, you know, as well as Vijay's personal perspective on that, there's a strong research foundation for that, that a sense of purpose and passion in what you do is a fundamental component of wellbeing. So all the other things we're talking about, like whether it's breakfast with the kids or surfing or yoga, they're not going to work if your foundation of purpose and passion isn't there. Absolutely. I think that's a pretty good segue into the general, how do you manage life with a bunch of lawyers from both of you who are responsible for a bunch of lawyers. Um, do you want to talk to us a bit more generally about Allen's and um, the way that we manage well-being here? Sure. So from a, I suppose from a formal perspective, we have a framework that reflects a lot of research in the area of well-being. So, um, you know, at the centre of that, as I said earlier, the idea is that it's personal, so it's different for everybody, but also there's a personal role that everybody needs to play in their well-being. From a firm perspective, the things that we try to support people to do are to sort of be healthy across the domains of body and mind and connection, and then also to work on those aspects of our culture that we know can be challenging in terms of well-being. So, I mean, Vijay, you might want to talk about how that kind of plays at a practical kind yeah, of practice sure. level. And so, I've, um, as part of the very various hats we wear at this at our shop, um, I've been staff partner. So, in that context, taking into, I guess, action some of the points Jane raises, I think it's about um, finding the right pieces of the puzzle that work for you. And so at times that might be um, a good mentor relationship. It may be um, a good friendship network within the firm. It sometimes is, you know, making sure you put into your diary, you know, a bit of PE time, personal time for exercise. You know, no one ever 
um, looks in someone's diary and says, you can't do that. And so having the ability um, to manage your time, which is very hard as a junior lawyer, admittedly, and it's only as you get more senior where you're able to um, have some visibility on timetables, um, what's due when, clients calling you directly, you can have a little bit more control. But the reality is, what does that mean? It means you know, open communication, great engagement, which is a two-way conversation between you as part of a team and also your leaders to make sure that you know what works due and when. Um, and then also time out, um, whether that's good food, good friends, good activities, whatever floats your boat, as it were, I think it's really important that you do juggle that. And, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, but it is a hard job. It's not like this is a job which you come to work at nine and leave at five and um, it's easy. It's not easy because most of our lawyers don't want it to be easy. They come to be challenged. They want to do great work for great clients in a culture of you know technical and legal excellence and that puts pressure on um, the environment and, and our clients are demanding because they're in demanding situations. If you just look at the media at the moment, um, you think of some of the industries that we are advising on and the Royal Commission is a great example. Those are high pressure stress environments for a lot of people. So I think um, what am I saying? It means making sure you can balance the job with all the things that go with that and a bit of perspective on that. And I think we'll talk about this a bit more, but you know, the ability to step back and realize it's a job, but no one is actually going to die um, <laughs> is really important. And I think that that is a, a really important message because certainly for young lawyers stepping in that particular task due at a particular time of day can seem all consuming um, and often when you actually sit down with your um, team to explain where you're up to, everyone is actually pretty reasonable about that. So I think it is about communication ultimately. Yeah, if I can just pick up on that because I think one of the things that we obviously hear a lot from junior lawyers in particular is the sense of pressure. But the other thing that I think we tend to hear about is this sense that they need to be on all the time in all circumstances and maybe an assumption that an individual partner has a level of visibility over their workload, et cetera, that's probably just not there. So the willingness, to, I think, to have a conversation, to be aware of what you need, so whether it's sort of some predictable time off to kind of you know do the swim in the morning or have a break in the middle of the day, whatever it is is important to you and being willing to have a conversation about that is both, I think, critical to maintaining well-being and having sustainable work, but also so in the main, I think it's something that partners welcome because at the end of the day, partners and other firm leaders, we want to know what you need in order to be here and to do and be your best. And so we welcome that conversation. And I think sometimes having that conversation seems way scarier than it should be. And look, a great example is technology. Like the iPhone and you know, whatever iPhone we use, but the iPhone for us and, and email being accessible 24-7 can be a burden if you look at it 24-7. But if you put it down when you go home, then you can manage it. If you know that you need to get something done in the morning or your partner's expecting to see you in the morning, but you really want to go for a swim, then juggling that by having a conversation that says, oh, hey, I was going to go for a swim in the morning. I was going to get in at nine, but I'll check my email when I wake up just to check whatever we're looking for from overseas isn't come in. No partner's going to say, no, I need you in the office at seven waiting for that email to come in. Everyone is very comfortable in 
in our shop, there's no FaceTime. We know you're checking your email when you need to, and we're talking about what needs to be done and when. And I think that is the type of conversation that suddenly depressurizes what you are building up in your own mind. Because if you really want to do that activity, but you feel you've got this pressure of doing a particular piece of work, that's difficult. But actually having a conversation really does put the pin in it. I agree with that. I had an experience earlier this year when we were um, doing some flexible working pilots, which have been successful and they're now the policy in our particular practice group. And I was very, very nervous about doing a work from home day because it was new. And send an email off explaining, you know, here are all the reasons why I'd like to work from home day. I need to do X, Y, and Z and all of these things. And you wrote your business case. It, genuinely. And, <laughs> and I was so nervous. And the partner came in. He was like, you know, the whole point of the policy is that like, we don't need to know. You just say you want to work from home. It's not my business. It's cool. It's fine. Away you go. And I was like, oh. So much, so much less terrifying well, than I thought. I spent half an hour crafting that email. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think you know maybe it's, it's social media or whatever the things that have created an environment where certainly I think our younger lawyers today feel like partners or senior lawyers in the team are expecting to know everything about them and what's happening. We don't. We actually just want the work to get done, and and <laughs> in how the nicest you, possible way. And, 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 I, and, I, and I, I mean that really honestly, in the sense that it's much like that story about how do you want to paint the car? Paint the color car, whatever color you want, but just use black paint. And that's I think, the Henry Ford story. But what does it say? It means you know our jobs are tough enough. We don't. We are. We really much prefer you to be happy and engaged and mm. doing a great job by delivering great product. How you do that and whether you're doing it in your pyjamas at home or in the office um, is part of that um, flexibility and communication that's more important than FaceTime and, and thinking that we are expected to know everything about you. I think the other place where there's a lot of assumption is just back to your point earlier, VJ, about the mobile phone and the constantly being on. In fact, I was having a conversation with a um, partner in Melbourne who was worried about the fact that the team seemed to be constantly on and sending emails at all times of day and night. And I think, again, that in, in, an, um, in a desire to do a great job, I think sometimes there's an over-expectation or over-assumption about what's required. So, again, having the conversation, if you're not aware of, well, when do I need to kind of be scanning emails at night? And when is it safe just to put it in my drawer and not worry about it so I can have friend and family time, I think is another important strategy. Yeah, I think that's really true. And especially I remember the first time I ever worked sort of late as a grad, I I had been given this task and I was like, oh, I need to get this done and I'll stay back. And the senior associate was leaving and she was like, "Why, why are you still here? And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, doing this task that you gave me. And she was like, Oh, but you don't need to stay tonight. I mean, that's just a sort of over the course of the week. And I had got in my head like, well, I've got to do it now and immediately. And I think there is that real sense of, okay, I feel pressure to perform and be switched on. And I think as a junior lawyer, part of what you have to learn is to set those boundaries and to ask the questions. And it's kind of in my experience, it's been a two-way process of, okay, I need to know that the firm cares about my well-being and that's important to me, but also I know that I need to set my clearly defined limits and say, okay, well, I'm going home tonight because I want to do this today and I will check my emails if I need to, but otherwise I'm heading home, which I did this week, which was lovely. <laughs> I think it's a two-way street. You know, I think young lawyers should have the confidence to be able to ask, mm. When is it due? When would you like a first draft of something? When do you want me to update you on it? Which automatically will give you a much better picture. And then the flip side is, you know, the instructing person should equally 
you know, have some training to be able to say, oh, don't stay late tonight or you don't need to work mm-hmm. on the weekend about this. This is due on Thursday to the clients. So if we can sit down on Tuesday and have a chat about it. Again, it starts to set up a framework to get things done. And I think that is part of the development mm-hmm. of relationships. And also that practice of making sure that you get from whoever's briefing you on a piece of work is great practice for then taking instructions from clients, you know, making sure that you're an active participant in that process, you know what you need to know and you extract it is all all good learning. Absolutely. It also goes the other way. I mean, we're still pretty junior, but from time to time you instruct summer clerks or paralegals and it's absolutely something I have to think very carefully about because that's a hard skill as well. Mm. So. I think um, it's this, useful when they ask as well, what time do you need this by? Because you don't necessarily remember to say. No. Well, I think so the idea of managing that aspect of it yourself is really important, but it kind of leads into talking about, you know, how do we manage our mental health at work and how, how do we actually manage that well-being? So I know, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that lawyers have certain issues that come up because it's a high-pressure environment and they have a high-pressure job. And so I guess – my question is, you know, if people do feel like they're really struggling, sort of what what steps can we take as individuals in the workplace to make sure that we are managing our well-being in the best possible way? Well, I mean, I think um, I think a lot of it goes back to some of the things that we've already spoken about. So, a hopefully making sure that you're doing something that you love in the first place and that you're passionate about. To understanding your own needs for well-being and whether those are physical or social or exercise or whatever they are, and making sure that you've got good practices and habits and routines around them. And then I think the third thing that's within each of our control is often our thinking and our thought patterns. And one of the hypotheses about why lawyers suffer so much from anxiety and depression is because those same habits of mind, which are around critique and identifying risk and identifying problems and those perfectionistic tendencies work very well in the context of executing your legal work, but aren't necessarily that helpful from a general life perspective. So if you know that you have a tendency around, you know, over being overly perfectionistic or overly concerned or overly cautious, there are things that you can do um, to actually practice sort of different ways of thinking. So things like, you know, there's lots of um, articles about this, but sort of, you know, gratitude practices or making sure that you clock the positive things or, you know, being clear about when something actually requires a perfect outcome and when it doesn't need to can all sort of help to reduce the sort of the cognitive and, and the stress load. And then from a firm perspective, you know, I think there's lots that we try to do around that sort of fabric of kind of um, social cohesion and, you know, everything from sort of, you know, the work that we put into forming the Clark and graduate sense of community to practice group retreats and, um, you know, firm drinks and all of those things go to forming the sort of the social fabric and, and the glue. And then, you know, there's a lot of work put within practice groups to try to develop that sort of supportive collegiate culture, which is also really important. And I think the other thing is just making sure that, you know, we make people feel safe enough to raise concerns and raise problems and raise issues so that those things can dealt, get dealt with early. And I think that's the area that's so difficult because you've got people who are busy, people who want to do a great job and be seen as really competent. And I think therefore sometimes people maybe hold on to talking about problems for longer than we might ideally like. I'd second everything you've said, Jane, and and that that is a great summary I think of both in terms of personal um, steps you should and can can take, but equally how we as an organisation tries to manage that. 
I think in addition to the um, natural tendencies that of identifying risk and our job is to step through or guide a client through difficult issues, there's also, I, I think, uh, uh, one issue that we do try to stare down is the fact that a lot of our team members have throughout their careers um, from the time at high school through to university and then into the workplace been lauded as the, the very best of the very best. They're, they're super smart, highly intelligent, and success has always come from studies and um, the work they've done at university. They then get into the work environment um, and there's a, there's a, it's a center of excellence, um, not perfection, but center of excellence means there is a very high standard um, and the work is a particular type of commercial law work. That may not suit you or you might have other interests. But because you've been on this trajectory of, of assumption of performance, there's this gap between you really doing this high-level job that you want to achieve and succeed in, but your heart may not be in it or you just want to do something else. And I think that gap as it grows creates a real challenge for an individual to actually feel comfortable and raise their hand and say, hey, this isn't, this isn't for me. And I think coming back to your point around honest conversations, that two-way conversation throughout our careers, whether that be with mentors, with our development supervisors, with our buddies or with our mates, is really important to make sure that we are really on track around doing what we want to do. That's really um really great point. And uh, there's also been some research that shows not just lawyers, but but generally professionals who are very kind of, you know, heady professionals, like, you know, neck, neck up sort of thing is where all the, the work is done, can often become quite easily disconnected from noticing what's going on in their body, but also no, noticing what's going on in terms of their emotions. So noticing if something's not giving you joy or satisfaction, or you're constantly kind of churning in the stomach or buzzing in the head or wherever it is that you're stressing, it was like, learning to kind of tune into that either through you know mindfulness or meditation or just kind of being aware whatever works for you i think is a really good way to make sure that you're clued into those early signals about where maybe something's not working for you so you can take action early i think that's a really great point and that that's something i've been working with this year a lot is i sort of got to this point and realized i was just so sluggish and you know i wasn't sleeping enough and i wasn't exercising enough and then we switched our gym membership this year so alan's has a gym that we have and we changed over and then i was like right it's a sign so then i started trying to eat a bit better and just exercise a bit more and those were kind of small differences but they did actually make a really big difference in my life because I was getting so absorbed in what was happening here and just focusing on we need to do this and this and this that actually taking the time to step back and think oh what do I actually need to function as a human and acting on it I mean that was really important and I think it's good to have these conversations and remind ourselves that actually no you matter a lot and it it matters what you do for yourself as well. And that you can make I think you know the really powerful thing on what you've said is that you you know, we have choice. I mean, the reality is we make a million micro choices every day. Whether we're conscious of those or not is a completely different thing. But the more we can be conscious of those and exercise positive choices that um, make us feel the way we want to feel, um, the better we will feel, obviously. Absolutely. I think it's also a very different experience depending on who you are and what it is that you do and need. And for me, my experience this year has been that the biggest lever to pull in that respect 
has been the sense of community and actually we've talked a lot mm. about having conversations and communicating with your colleagues and your friends in this episode. And I think that one of the things that's most important for wellness in the workplace is whether you feel that you can have those conversations and be quite frank and open, um, which, you know, I'm sure for different people is you know, easy or difficult in different ways. Um, but personally, this has probably been one of the most difficult years of my life for a number of personal reasons. Um, and in particular, I felt really a bit pathetic for a while because I had a really bad breakup and it just knocked me around. I've never really had one before and it hugely affected the way that I was at work and also at home. And I felt very supported by work and it was absolutely a case of I am, have always been a high performance sort of person through school, as VJ's talked about and all the way into work and all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't performing my best and that actually was something mm. I felt like I didn't really necessarily want to disclose to the people I was working with. Oh, I'm not I'm not as good as maybe they thought that I was going to be and that's because I'm having a breakup and how banal is it that that's affected me? And um, it wasn't until I actually you know, felt, actually, you know what, these people that know me really well like me a lot and also are human people. <laughs> so as soon as I was able to talk about the things that I was going through in my personal life with my team, all of a sudden it felt a lot more manageable and mm. I went, right, okay, I am really upset. I'm just going to be sad sometimes. If I'm sad at work, that's okay. If sometimes I'm a bit distracted at work, I'll just take a little bit longer to do something. Everyone understands and because they know about it, they can work around it as well. But also I feel that I can be supported. So mm. That was a fantastic experience in some ways, although obviously generally horrific. <laughs> yeah, but the, I think that's been really important and I know that Geneva and I have become very close friends over the course of the last couple of years and part of that's because from time to time we have been the peer group as well as a couple of other grads who have supported each other through a variety of things, some like that that are a bit long-term and also some that are just I've really got to get this brief done and I've got four hours to do it and there's just too much work to do in that time. So you pull together and you help. Um, yes, that was me. And Rose and our other friend Phoebe found me crying at my desk and they were like, um, are you okay? And I was like, I just can't do it in time. I don't know what I'm doing. And they were just like, let's just do it together. It's fine. And it was fine because, you know, no one is dying and it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But sometimes you forget about it until someone helps you have that yeah. perspective. And you're overwhelmed unless you can just say, hey, Here's what's going on. Uh, I think a couple of points that you've made there, which are really interesting, is we've got these titles and these titles of create a hierarchy. Mm. And actually, in reality, as you've said, everyone's human. Um, and <laughs> we're not robots yet. We're not robots. And actually, the way I often describe it is that I'm just more senior because I've done this for more years than some of the younger lawyers. And, and trying to break down the fact that what that means is I've probably seen it before and that's both professionally and personally um, means you can have really good conversations beyond simply this is your task. And, you know, I, often when, when I was staff partner, when uh, young lawyers want to go travel overseas, there's this real hesitancy to come and speak to you because they feel like, oh, I'm going to let you down, I'm going to leave. And then I'm like, great, this is great, go overseas, it's great for your career. And I think people are almost shocked to mm. realise that the conversations we have is actually much broader than the task because, you know, we are a people business and therefore our assets are very limited to those human beings and so you guys need to be well. 
Well, I think yeah. um, that might be a good point to say thanks to both of you for coming. I think this is a really important topic and especially for people who might be considering a career in law, it's important to know that you're not going to sacrifice any sort of shred of happiness that you would otherwise have. Um, and I think it's also important for us to remember that it's a process that is learned and ongoing and there is sort of no one size fits all answer that this is how you can feel well and be, you know, feel mentally well. Um, so thank you both for sharing your insights into sort of your strategies and what you think we should focus on and where the firm is going with that. And I think it's been really useful to hear both for us and hopefully for others. Yeah, completely agree. Thanks, Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. It's fun. We know that this week we've talked about um, a few issues around mental health and mental well-being. So if you or someone you know needs help, please make sure that you reach out to people, either your friends or family, or you can go and talk to someone, or else please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. So it's not just Geneva's mum. <laughs>